Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. This is Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower. It's August. That means we've reached the dog days of summer for cotton production and the summer doldrums for marketing. A lot of folks say the cotton crop is made in August as temperatures and humidity both climb to levels that cotton plants love. That, of course, excludes those areas of South Texas where the pickers are already rolling and, and we're hoping for sure that it's a great harvest for growers in that area. Right now, I want to welcome my own cotton companion, Beck Barnes, back into our virtual studio after a few weeks away for uh, a little time away and also for some business. Uh, glad to have you back, Beck. Yeah, yeah, man. It's We've been on the road. I know you've been on the road, too. Uh, it's it's well and truly summer travel season. There's field days that you've been getting to and uh, meeting season a little bit that I've been getting to. I took a little vacation with the family up into the North Carolina Smokies, and then uh, was gone for a week and came back and immediately got on the road over to Little Rock for uh, uh, American Cotton Producer and Cotton Foundation joint meeting, which we'll talk plenty about here in a little bit. But sure. yeah, I know you've been in that road too and, and got more travel coming up. So uh, it's honestly, you know, <laughs> I love that about it. I love, uh, especially now that everybody's worked from home, for me, it's like, yeah, give me a reason to get out of this house. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, yeah, give me, invite me to a field day. Jim, you get to go to the fun field day stuff. Uh, and I, but yeah, or invite me to your annual meeting like I did in Little Rock. I'm, I'm happy to go. Sounds good. Well, obviously some of the recent meetings we've attended and some of the conversations we've had, uh, a lot of those are still focusing on sustainability uh, and some of the efforts to improve not only transparency in the cotton supply chain, but also to improve and enhance soil health as part of these sustainability metrics. Uh, I think it's safe to say it's not just good dirt versus bad dirt anymore. It's, it's what can we do to make as much of it as good as possible. And the Soil Health Institute, which is a global nonprofit headquartered in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina, has developed and is implementing several projects specifically aimed at the cotton market. Joining us today to discuss some of those programs is Diana Bagnall, who is a PhD research soil scientist for the Soil Health Institute. I recently had an opportunity to hear a presentation on their programs, and I think you're gonna find them interesting too, so please be sure to stick around for that discussion. But first, like Beck said, we've both been on the road at cotton meetings uh, for the past two weeks. Beck, tell, me, tell us a little bit about where you went and, and some of the things you learned. Yeah, yeah, Let's, I feel like I... <laughs> I ruined your intro there. I started talking about it too soon, <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. I, uh, yeah, like I said, I went over to Little Rock uh, just last week and uh, sat in with the American Cotton Producers. Uh, it was a joint summer meeting of the American Cotton Producers and the Cotton Foundation, which was, uh, it was a great deal. I got to see a lot of familiar faces, a uh, great kind of catch up meeting on what's going on out there. I got to tell you, the, the first thing they did, and Jim, I hadn't even had a chance to tell you about it at that um at the ACP session, uh, kind of general session, was uh, they went around the room, was probably 50, 60 people in there if I had to ballpark it. And they just passed a mic around, ask everybody to introduce yourself. And if you were a farmer, they said, tell us what the crop looks like in your area. And man, those guys in Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, I, you know better than me because you follow crop progress and what condition the crop is in in certain areas. But for me, it caught me off guard how many of those guys from Texas and Oklahoma stood up and said, yeah, we, we just don't have a crop right now. You know, it's, it's August. I was there on August 3rd and they're like, yeah, we, we're probably not going to have anything to pick. 
um, you know, it was sobering, to be honest with you. I, I was not prepared for that. And uh, <laughs> I guess it was a little lighthearted. You had a couple guys in, from Southeast, Southeast uh, stand up and they give their report and they like start talking real low. Like, I don't want to offend anybody, but we, we need it to quit raining. Um, you know, and, and of course everybody, you know, what are you going to do? Everybody got a chuckle out of it, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was sobering, but it's good to know, you know, what these guys are going through out there. And, uh, it's been a yeah. tough year in terms of drought and, uh, we certainly hope that things improve for them soon, but, uh, we got that update from across the belt. We heard from, uh, NCC's government relations manager, Robbie Minnick, and he talked about uh, the upcoming elections and not only Republicans versus Democrats, what that might look like, but also, you know, who's farm friendly that they're talking to out there. And they've already, it's a great thing about the council, even just candidates, they have, the council makes it their business to have relationships. You know, somebody that's right. not already in office, the council wants that person to know who the council is and what Cotton's issues are. And, you know, you, honestly, you get a sense of, uh, the important work that the council does at meetings like that. Um, we heard from Senator John Boozman. We, we were in Little Rock, so we heard from Arkansas's senator, and he talked about some of the challenges coming up for the farm bill. Um, you know, it, just stuff like that throughout, up and down the up and down the uh, agenda. Really neat, important, informative discussions. I heard from uh, I told you about Dr. Greg Holt at uh, USDA talking about cotton contamination, how big of an issue that is, and. And he mentioned uh, had high praise for the Tama wraps. That's the that's the yellows and the pinks that you see out there specifically. Right. Those are great wraps to cut down on contamination. Contamination can be a big problem at the gin if we're not careful. We don't do some cultural things. But he had high praise for for Tama specifically in their wraps. Um, you know, just stuff like that. I, I feel like I'm I don't want to go through the entire agenda except to say, hey. If you think that it might be uh, interesting to you, uh, start talking and join up at American Cotton Producers. I mean, this this meeting kind of highlighted the important work that they do and the, the mechanism that they provide for farmers to get involved with the council's efforts. Um, and I'll touch real brief, brief. I've been talking about the Cotton Producers meeting, Jim. Uh, the Cotton Foundation, boy, it was illuminating uh, and illuminating time for me there. Um, and I've told you, Jim, our old friend, Don Parker, asked me uh, a year and a half ago, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, he said, Beck, if I asked you what the Cotton Foundation does, what would you answer? And I said, uh, I think they just collect dues for the <laughs> from people, like they're the dues collecting arm. And he, you know, he kind of chuckled, but he shook it off. He said, that's, that's what people think, but that's not what we're about. Um, and he's made it his business. Don is newly uh, kind of leading the Cotton Foundation, and he's made it his business to let the industry know of the important projects that the foundation does. It's not just about collecting money and then that money going dark and you never know what happens to it. I mean, they do fundraising and they, they have, I was invited to this trustees meeting. They had done all this fundraising and they, they, Don and his trustees who were led by producer Neil Isbell from up there in North Alabama um, were just discussing the various projects they can do. You know, they, just for instance, <laughs> there's this, um, these guys found this cotton seed bug, this pest that has not been a problem in cotton, but suddenly it, it turned, some of them turned up in a residential area in California. 
And it's like, okay, we have to study this. Let's devote X number of dollars towards making sure we're not blindsided. You know, it's that type of thing, making sure the industry is not blindsided by this pest that appears out of the blue. A uh, very similar thing happening with the fusarium wilt, a type of strain of fusarium wilt that they found in the El Paso Valley. You know, mm -hmm. it, it takes dollars to fund that and to contain it and make sure that doesn't spread across Texas and into the, you know, uh, cotton belt at large. And so the, the foundation is the, you know, this group of folks who are deciding what the important projects are, what, you know, where this money needs to go that's going to be the best, best help the, the industry. And um, yeah, it was neat. It was illuminating to see. There's a lot of people in the room, uh, representatives from industry stakeholders like uh, Deer and FMC and Corteva, Bayer, and I, I'm sure I'm going to miss people, but, uh, you know, folks that have a vested interest in making sure this industry succeeds. And also they, some of those folks have deep pockets to fund this stuff. You know, that's why they're in the room. It's their money um, that they're going to be the ones putting money towards it. So it was a neat deal. I'm rambling, uh, but, uh, you know, just come out of the weekend, uh, grateful for the work that ACP does and the Cotton Foundation does. And uh, Don Parker's done a great job with the foundation and um, encourage y'all, if you're a farmer and you're listening, uh, I think it'd be worth your while to, to start getting involved with stuff like that. The, the more the more folks involved, the, the better work they can do. Oh, that's, ab that's absolutely correct. And I, I think I'm a little jealous because you get to sit in air conditioning meeting rooms that's true. Uh, for all of this, while I was out traipsing around the uh, the, the West Tennessee countryside uh, at, the, at the Milan No-Till Field Day, and Beck, I know you've been to this field day several times, as as have I. I think I've lost count, and it is always normally the hottest, most uncomfortable day of the year in that area. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. The interesting part this year is it was uh, probably the most comfortable day of the summer. Uh, it was cloudy, there was a light breeze, there was some occasional drizzle, which everybody was pleased to see. Uh, and there were some great presentations under three big tents uh, there on the research grounds. Now, some of the topics that they covered on this, uh, things like cotton fertility programs, uh, increased use of uh, machine vision for cotton management. We're gonna start seeing more and more of that. Um, an interesting discussion on when does no-till need to become strategic tillage? And uh, very nice presentation uh, there. Uh, we talked, there was discussions on cottonseed quality, soil health, certainly, uh, the continuing fights against pigweed resistance and, uh, and sort of a latest update on where the, uh, where they, Bayer stands with the Thrive On insect gene as, as they're still awaiting the final registration on that. So all in all, it was a good day. There was lots of good information lots of uh, good discussions. Uh, and obviously, we're going to be covering some of these topics and upcoming issues of Cotton Grower Magazine and on cottongrower.com. And one last thing before we get to our topic of the day, uh, I wanted to take a quick look at the numbers from the USDA Crop Progress Report for the week ending August 7th. For the first time this season, we've got reports of open bowls, uh, which were seen in 9% of the U.S. crop. And uh, not surprisingly, Arizona, Louisiana, and Texas are kind of leading the way uh, in that. Squaring reported in 95% of the crop, and I think this will probably be the last week we see any, any numbers on squaring. Uh, bowl set reported in 69% of the U.S. crop. That's up 11 points in the last week. And cotton condition continues to show a, a good, but maybe not an exceptional crop. 35% uh, of the U.S. crop is rated fair. 
only 31% is rated good to excellent. And 34% of the crop has now fallen into that poor, very poor category. And unfortunately, that, that category is up six points in the past week. You know, something that I learned from Gary Adams uh, at the council while I was at that meeting, Jim, that's pretty interesting about this report. When a section of acreage is zeroed out, when the when farmer in Texas says, look, this isn't going to make, uh, I don't know, end of July, he says, listen, this is burn up and it's not going to make, and he zeroes it out. Right. That comes out of the poor uh, percentage there, the poor to very poor percentage, and it's just like zeroed out. So it's like no longer, it's no longer included. And in like it never exists. Yeah. Do you, you, just, you understand what I'm saying? So like in a way, yeah. it's not a real accurate, or I shouldn't say it's not, right. it is an accurate of what's still out there, but it doesn't take into account the buku acreage in the Southwest that's just been zeroed, you know. Maybe, maybe to a certain extent that it's more frightening. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, like, if, I feel like such negative <laughs> Nancy saying it, but yeah, it's like things are things are maybe worse than in some areas than that report can indicate. And that's and that's true. And we we hear it from year, you know, from week to week. And uh, and certainly we don't want to focus on the negative side on this because it's it's this year it's awfully easy to do. Uh, but there are still some great, great pockets of uh, of healthy cotton that you know, everything in the southeast looks like it's on, you know, it's it's headed toward you know, a great year, uh, you know, if not, uh, you know, a, a good record year. Uh, but with, it's also August, and that means hurricane season has officially started, yeah. according to uh, according to the U.S. weather trackers. So now all eyes will start turning toward the Atlantic at this point to see what uh, what happens there. Uh, and, and certainly the folks in South, South Texas and coastal Texas are already in the fields. They're, they're getting their crop out. Uh, and it's kind of, from what I understand, kind of a mixed bag at this point, but it's at least a crop yeah. that, uh, that they can do something with. We'll make some cotton. Oh yeah, definitely make some cotton. Some folks will make some cotton. Yes. <laughs> well, as we mentioned earlier, soil health is a key component in, in all of the current cotton sustainability programs. And it's, it's quite simple. The healthier the soil, the better chance your cotton crop has to be successful. And joining us now in the Cotton Companion virtual studio is Diana Bagnall. She's a research soil scientist for the Soil Health Institute. She's an applied soil physicist specializing in soil physical health and the socioeconomic dynamics of soil management. And we're happy to have us join us today. Diana, welcome to the Cotton Companion. Thanks, it's great to be here. Yeah, Diana, it's been good to be uh, catching up with you here for a little bit. Uh, you know, I've done some homework on the Soil Health Institute here recently, but a lot of our listeners uh, may not be quite as familiar with y'all. So could you just maybe uh, give uh, our listening audience a little background on what the Soil Health Institute is, what its mission is, and, and maybe uh, just a couple of the, the projects and, and research that you're involved in? Yeah, absolutely. The Soil Health Institute is a nonprofit, um, and our mission is to safeguard and enhance the vitality and the productivity of soil. So that's simple, uh, but certainly not easy. Um, our staff mostly includes uh, scientists, but as well, we like to have soil health educators um, and, and folks as well that, that kind of give us that piece of on the ground knowledge. Um, and so we do have many projects. Uh, one big one that we're just wrapping up with our annual meeting at, here at the end of the week is the North American Project to Evaluate Soil Health Measurements. And that's where we looked at uh, soil health measurements, about 30 different ways to measure soil health on over 124 different sites. 
across North America. So we're excited to finally be able to kind of recommend three measurements that are really affordable, less than $50 uh, to get tested um, your soil health. And so that's coming up. Uh, that's a big, big project for, for us. But maybe one of the most relevant pieces of work is our U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund that is about a, a year old. Um, and that effort is an initiative of the Soil Health Institute um, that's goal is to specifically increase the adoption of soil health management systems uh, in cotton production in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, man, that, that's, those are broad sweeping uh, initiatives there. I mean, gosh, no, establishing a standardized, uh, you know, set of uh, metrics, it sounds like if I understood the first one right, across the entire North American continent, that's, that's big work y'all are undertaking. So, um, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty great. I, we'll get into maybe a little more granular, some of the specifics there later. Uh, but one thing that caught my eye when I was doing my homework this week, um, just right off the bat, was some of the economic studies that y'all had undertaken, uh, and two specifically uh, in cotton and soybean, which to be sure, a lot of our listeners, you know, nobody grows 100% or very few grow 100% just one crop. I mean, they rotate into soybean and, and corn. Um, anyhow, this economics of soil health, uh, what sort of benefits are you finding economically from the research that y'all have done? Yeah, that's a great question. And the economics is really important, of course, as your listeners know, but we find as scientists, when we start having the conversation about, hey, what's what would it look like to maybe move to some more regenerative practices? The first question that comes up is, you know, what are the economics of this? Is this going to make sense for my bottom line? Um, and so certainly that's the first piece of information when we go into an area and start looking at you know, how can we improve uh, the adoption of soil health management? We go to that economics piece. So you mentioned that we've done some past work in corn and soy systems in the Midwest. We did about 100 different interviews. And the way that we proceeded with those was to try and find folks who had been adopting soil health management systems, things like including cover crops, reducing their tillage for long periods of time. So we, we knew uh, right out of the gate, we're picking winners. You know, this isn't a survey of everybody in the world. This is, hey, some folks have been really successful. Let's get critical mass, about 100 of them, and see what are the benefits on their farm. And so we really saw um, a lot of benefits there. And then we started to repeat that work in cotton production systems. And so our, our recent survey, uh, we did five farmers who were really experienced in cotton production systems, and we've released a, a webinar and a fact sheet about that. And what we found was that there was about a $100 difference in net farm income when we use those soil health management um, systems on the long term. And about half of that, so about $50 uh, per acre or the unit, so it's dollars per acre of production, um, was coming from cost savings, things like we're not putting out the inputs that we used to. We're able to save some funds there. We're able to reduce uh, the wear and tear on our equipment. We're able to uh, have reduced fuel costs. And so it was really about half and half. Yeah, there was some benefits to our yield, but a lot of it was being able to increase uh, the amount that we were, or reduce the amount that we were spending. And those are 2019 numbers um, for, for dollars there. So I expect that they're a little higher these days. Yeah. Yeah, we know inputs go one direction in terms of cost. That's right. Sadly, they they never seem never seem to come down. Uh, but you know, Diana, one of the you know, I obviously heard a presentation from uh, from one of your colleagues uh, over in Arkansas back in June, uh, talking about some of the the work to establish regionally appropriate goals or targets for soil health in cotton production. Because I think obviously when you look at the at the the, the width of the cotton belt one program's likely not gonna fit everybody. Um, 
where's that program currently stand and kind of what's what's next in the in the process on that? Yeah, great question. So I think that's the next logical, <clears throat> pardon me, the next logical step when we think about, um, you know, what should we measure? Then the next thing is, well, what what the Dickens does it mean? You know, we we've got so much soil organic carbon. How, what what can we do with that? Can we get better? Uh, is it good for my area? And that's just what you're asking is, you know, where do we stand with that program? So this is a project we call the Soil Health Targets, and we, we set targets for both carbon and for the other soil health indicators. So we're also looking at aggregate stability. And then the last one is we're looking at um, the potentially mineralizable carbon. So that's a measure of the respiration or the soil biology. And so we've taken measurements this last year, this last season, out in some pretty tough field conditions, as your listeners know, I'm sure. Um, but we were in Texas and Arkansas as well, sampling and being able to set those regional goals, um, getting a target for one area. So I mentioned being from Texas, you know, we're not going to have the same soil health or the same soil carbon target for the rolling plains as we are for the Blackland Prairie, where we've got, you know, 60 percent clay. And that's the stuff that sticks with you, they say. So I think being able to look at, at those, we've, we've look, worked in, in Texas and Arkansas, and then in the following year, we're going to be in Georgia and in Mississippi with those programs. Um, and we hope to be able to expand even further as, as time goes by in the Cotton Belt to set those regionally appropriate targets. That sounds, sounds great. And we should mention, you know, the Soil Health Institute, they, they're interested in improving soil across all crops, across the whole continent, as you heard earlier. But when we're talking cotton specific, Diana, if I heard correctly, you have roots in Lubbock or you're in Lubbock now, or so you've got cotton bona fides uh, about you specifically, correct? Well, I'm from uh, Texas, yes. And I've spent about 10 years in the Blackland Prairies in the College Station area. And I have handpicked uh, more cotton in, uh, in programs at Texas A&M than I might like to admit. So yes, we know what it looks like for sure. Okay, yeah, good deal. Well, you know, and again, staying on our cotton specific questioning, uh, I know we have seen uh, a number of localized programs uh, as part of your Healthy Soils for Sustainable Cotton initiative. Uh, in fact, I, I, I tried to get over to one in Arkansas last year and just it, it, we just couldn't get the schedules to sync on it. And I know those involve your institute staff as well as growers from the area who are there to kind of share their experiences uh, with the programs and, and the soil improvement they've seen. Um, Tell us a little bit about that program and also ways that growers can get involved with these efforts. Yeah, absolutely. So really the cornerstone of any educational work we do is our farmer mentors. And so folks who are, you know, the same kind of folks we're looking for to interview, those are the people who've made soil health work in their region on their farm. And so those videos that you mentioned um, are all on our website. They're all free and, and cataloged under our Healthy Soils for Sustainable Cotton Initiative. Um, and as well, we'll be continuing that work here in the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund. So working with local people who can give a field day, working with people who can kind of coach other farmers through, you know, this is what's working for me. This isn't what is what's working so well over here is a really big piece of that. Um, we have not set all of our events that will be in Texas, uh, Georgia. Uh, Arkansas and Mississippi yet, but hopefully that'll be coming out real soon with where we're going to be. But you mentioned, um, you know, kind of seeing us with other different partners. And that's something that the first thing we do is try to understand what is what's going on. We're working with NRCS. We're working with uh, the extension folks in the area. This is really um, a, a holistic thing. And we find that working with a local technical specialist is always a key. So we try to make sure we they we're supporting them. And then also 
really amplifying the voices. You know, COVID was tough for us because we didn't get around to as many farms as we wanted to, but it gave us that opportunity to just get a lot of great video um, of farmers who had been working in this in this space and get that out on the internet. And so hopefully there's a resource for folks as well to just hear some inspiring stories uh, in different regions of what, what works on the ground. Now, earlier we mentioned, uh, you mentioned the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund. And as I recall, that kind of launched that last fall, uh, sort of a partnership with the Ralph Lauren Corporation Foundation. Uh, there seem to be a lot of moving parts in that program. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the benefits that, it, that it's going to bring to U.S. cotton growers? Absolutely. And you're right on. Um, the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund started uh, last October was the official launch. And the sustaining or the uh, founding partner was the Ralph Lauren Corporate Foundation. And we've since been joined by the VF Foundation and by Levi Strauss. And uh, we're excited that new funders will hopefully be uh, being announced as well in the next couple of uh, weeks here. And so there are a lot of components, but we've talked about most of them already. One is setting those local soil health and soil carbon targets. That's really the, uh, a big piece of the push. As well, for every place that we work, we're going to establish the local economics. So we'll make sure we've got at least uh, eight to 10 farmers from that area so we know how the economics in the region work. There's an educational component. And that's really centered around the farmer mentors um, who we'll be working with in each of those places. So we'll be having the field days out at their places and making sure that they're available um, and have some funds to, to compensate their time so that when they're answering questions and, and working with you know, maybe folks who want to kind of come on and see if they can adopt soil health management practices, that that works for them. Um, so the educational component, the economic component, the soil health uh, com measurement component, and as well trying to understand what the impacts are. And a lot of the folks out there, you know, we, we hear a lot about carbon, we hear a lot about carbon markets. And so some of this is being able to measure on those farms and see, you know, how we're making progress towards those targets and really assessing our impact. So in a nutshell, that's the big picture of the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund. Isn't there a, uh, a cover crop component to this? There is. Yes, absolutely. Good, great point. Thanks for bringing that up. So um, we are able in the different regions in which we're working um, to provide some funding to get folks uh, some acreages of cover crops to start trying that out. And um, information, if your folks are interested, can go to our website. And the U.S. Regenerative Cotton Fund Initiative is listed with all of our other initiatives. And there's a form there you can fill out to learn more or to get in contact with us. Okay. Sounds good. Now, now the, the fund, you're working only in certain states at this point. It's sort of a, a rollout process, correct? That's right. So right now, the states are Texas, Arkansas, Georgia, and Mississippi. We're hoping that our next state will add here very soon will be Alabama. But we want to go ahead and get to North Carolina and even out to California and really try and make sure that we cover about our goal is to cover at least 85 percent of cotton growing land in the U.S. Sounds sounds great. Uh, I just I just want to point out that the, the Soil Institute is is headquartered in uh, over in the, the Raleigh, North Carolina area, I think Research Park, Research Triangle Park. Uh, but the staff there is relatively small because most of your staff is our like yourself, are headquartered or based all around the country. Yes, that's right. And I think, you know, it's it's a great advantage for us. We do have staff there in North Carolina, um, but we've also got folks, uh, I'm outside of St. Louis, just on the Illinois side. We've got folks in Colorado. Um, we've got folks in Iowa. And so it really gives us the opportunity to uh, cover the ground. For, for There's not so many of us, but we get around pretty well, we, we'd like to think. Now, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the website or, or for people looking for more information about the fund, where can people go exactly to uh, 
to get this information? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly a soilhealthinstitute.org is where pretty much everything is housed and all of our staff are listed. Their emails are available. So if you have a specific question, you can read somebody's bio and reach out individually. But really a lot of the content that people will be looking for will be under our work. And then under those initiatives that we were, we were talking about, and that's where you can find, maybe you're interested in just the economics of corn and soy systems, you click on it, all the fact sheets, all the videos are there. If you're interested in those uh, cotton educational programs under healthy soils for sustainable cotton, you can see all the videos backlogged there. And we also have a resources page. So if you know one thing in particular, you know, maybe I'm just interested in best management practices, or I'm just interested in all the economics across every initiative you're doing, you can go to the resources page and filter those out there. Diana, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been, uh, it's been a great discussion. Uh, I've learned a lot. I learned a lot listening to presentations back in June, but I've learned even more today. So I appreciate that. And we certainly look forward to working with you and the Institute again as we move ahead. Thanks. It's been my pleasure to be here. And one thing I will throw out before we finish is that we do have our annual meeting coming up Thursday and Friday of this week. It's totally free. So if anybody wants to go sign up and register and just hear a little bit more about what we're up to, um, there'll be some good farmer panels uh, for those that want to hear from uh, the real source. Yeah, I, I did look at your agenda and I, I've already got a couple things circled. So, you know, you know, hopefully schedules will work out. I can sit in for, for an hour or so to listen. But, but Diana, uh, if a farmer was interested, they could probably uh, sign up for that at soilhealthinstitute.org. Is that right? That's right. You can contact us there or you can contact any of our staff individually. And I'd sure love to hear from you guys. Awesome. Sounds great. Diana, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the time. My pleasure. All right. So that's it for this episode of the Cotton Companion podcast. We want to send a special thanks to Diana Bagnall with the Soil Health Institute. She was so sharp uh, and insightful. Uh, in our conversation. And we just want to thank her for joining our discussion today. As always, we want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us. Uh, if you like what you're hearing on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word. Tell your farmer buddies about us. Uh, we know there's going to be long hours in the, maybe in the picker, hopefully this fall, and long hours in the truck. And uh, we'd love to keep you company. So here's where and how you can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues back at the World Headquarters for Meister Media Worldwide in Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman. He's Beck Barnes. And we'll be back with you in two weeks for the next episode of the Cotton Companion. Until then... Stay safe. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it for him. Yeah, he 